News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Good evening to you. We're in a brand new studio here at uh, the Solid Gold Podcasting Hub. And we're coming to you live from Johannesburg, as always. Uh, but we've got a, a very special guest in studio with us tonight, my old pal from school, um, Wayne Duvenage. Wayne, geez, you must be celebrating today. Well, it's not quite over until the formal announcements are made and you can see that government is backtracking. Until the fat the, lady sinks. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, but there were some good nuggets that came out of that, uh, that speech from uh, Mama Bola. Okay, so we're going to have a good chat about that in, in a little while. Wayne, of course, apart from being a alumna of uh, Newcastle, where we both grew up, uh, is the man who started Outer. And Outer has been fighting for how many years uh, against uh, nine ETOLs? Years. Nine, nine years. Nine years now, yeah. Nine years against ETOLs. We'll uh, get that whole story for you in a little while. And, of course, this being Festive Friday, uh, who other than Carrie Adams is in studio? Let's hear the little voice. Hello, Alec. Can I tell everybody what your new nickname is? We're calling him Tiger Hog, actually, because he shot the most amazing round of golf today. Uh, well, well, you know, Wayne, what happened was I gave up golf mm-hmm. um, when I went farming in 2009, yeah. and I've only been back for six months. Yeah. And struggling, 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 and suddenly everything clicked today. It was yeah. one of those days. Yeah, that, one of those hallelujah days. You have yeah. one every 10 years. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, You've no. had yours. <laughs> I, 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 Never again. <laughs> well, well, I believe that it's the beginning of great things. What so, if you break 100 or something? <laughs> uh, I, shot, I shot. Brag, Alec, come brag. I, I know what you I shot. Did. I shot 87, and off my handicap, I can tell you that's, oh, that's that incredible. <laughs> 52 individual points. Oh, yeah. It's like Would impossible. I've never price. heard of that. They were, it was just friends. Yeah. And he wasn't yeah. cheating. I have it on good authority. Yeah. That it was mm-hmm. straight, honest stuff. <laughs> to play like that when there's a competition yeah. and win the big prize. It, you're right. It, it it was not good timing, but my goodness, uh, uh, my coach, uh, uh, WhatsApp to her quickly to let her know that. Uh, her? Does Mrs. Hogg know that your golfing coach is female? <laughs> Lee Middleton is the best coach in the world. Uh, Mrs. Hogg, whatever. <laughs> We're also going to be talking to Dr. Nati Mdladla tonight. He wrote a fabulous piece on biz news all about the vaccines the vaccine story um why south africa sat back and didn't go out and get the proper vaccines then it got the astrazenecas and astrazenecas didn't work that well and then it gave them away and anyway it's a fantastic story so we'll be talking more to him and then carrie you got uh, a fellow wine guru i, I call you my well, wine guru i've and- got yes i've got my my darling friend and colleague of many, many years, Michael Fridjohn, because it is next week is Old Mutual Trophy wine time again. And it is the premium sort of premier wine competition in the country. And Michael is convening and hosting the 20th anniversary of this. Still hosted by the same and sponsored by the same Old Mutual. They've done a fabulous job. So we've got Michael on that and what to expect from judging wine in a COVID space, which is oh, the logistics are enormous. And then we've got such hot property because we've got Nikki van der Volt, mm-hmm. who is entrepreneur extraordinaire, restaurateur. Um, he's just a really, really cool guy. And he's just opened Tang, which is the hottest fastest, bestest, but I think most expensive restaurant to go to in Gauteng at the moment. And you get into it? We got in. You got if in? we want, you can go if you like. Mm, okay. Well, we'll, we'll first have to win. I'll have to, uh, you know, get new suits or something. Yes. The Newcastle boys. Or, mm. or maybe we could spend some of that money that we've been keeping in our e-toll fund in case we got there called we upon to pay the 40000 Well, come on, Wayne. Tell us pay, about this. you were paying that over to Arta. <laughs> well, that we could. <laughs> Tell us about this story, the, the, the whole Arta story. Mm. Uh, nine years ago, uh, I know you 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 are a, uh, have always been an, kind of a concerned citizen, an active mm. guy. You you don't you're not compliant 
um, even from from a young kid, you weren't compliant. You, I suppose, you could say you you were naughty, but Challenge not really. <laughs> yeah, you ask questions, yeah. and I love that. I love that about you, and that's I guess why we've been pals for for many mm. many years. But why do what you did, which was go out there on a limb and take on government as a white guy mm. in a country like South Africa, where immediately you get branded a racist if you say yeah. that the ANC is doing anything wrong. Uh, what what got under your skin so badly that you had to start out here? Well, in, th- in those days, it was um, a business issue. What uh, and as these as uh, in my role at uh, at Avis, this scheme was just going to be so. Um, it, it would it would heavily impact on the way we operate and the way we bill. In fact, we had to change our whole billing process. We had a live billing process, and we had to. A bill a day late and our 24 hours. I mean, once people fly out the country and you can't get money, you've got to bill them while they're there with their credit cards, especially international tourists. And just frustrated as the government didn't do anything. So it, I was angry from a business point of view. And, uh, and we decided, I'd managed to convince the whole industry this was a fight that had to happen. And we started. And uh, once you start these fights, you can't pull out. Mm-hmm. And it became far bigger than I initially envisaged. Uh, and we had to stick to our guns. And then government lent heavily on, on business. They capitulated. And we were left with a decision. Do we just close this down? By then we'd learned so much more about the scheme, why it was wrong, why it was going to fail. And while we had to try and convince initially government to change their minds, and if not, we had to convince society that this was their fight and they had to become civilly disobedient. Now, to start a civil disobedience campaign... In South Africa. Yeah, in a new democracy. It's, mm. and, and we know that civil disobedience was the order of the day and you have to break bad laws through civil disobedience like the past laws in the, in the past. So it had to, and it can be done, but you have to compel and give society the moral courage that is required to do that and that's not a half-day job. And I was going to board meetings and the corporate world and the media were phoning. Sanrol's just put out a media statement. We need your response. And I'd be saying, I'll get you back to you tonight. And then we say, no, we close. We're going to print at 4 o'clock. We need your story. It was just a mess. I, and I'd been doing my role at Avis for five years as, as the chief executive, done some really exciting stuff in the sustainability and service excellence space. But I needed a change. So I guess it was a timing issue. It was, it was time to do something different. This required full-time attention. I didn't know where it was going to go. I sat down with my boss. We negotiated a little bit of an exit package. And I said, if, if you know, government should come to its senses in six months to a year, and I'll get back into the corporate world. And, well, that never happened. And this thing became far bigger than, than I thought. And uh, looking back nine years, it's been an incredible journey of really close shaves, of having to close down almost uh, three or four times of – getting the funding model right, and just showing the public they have power and they have strength and they've used it well and we've brought the scheme to its knees. Unbelievable. Well, uh, why we are talking like this is because of a statement that, uh, well, an interview Mm -hmm. that happened on SAFM uh, this week. I'm going to just play it so that we can hear exactly what the MEC for Transport in Gauteng had to say. Jacob Mamabolo, just a few moments ago, the Gauteng Transport MEC, I asked him this question. And then I've got to ask you about ETOL's MEC. The Transport Minister said this week an announcement is imminent. That was two days ago. How do you define imminent? When do you expect an announcement on ETOL's? Well, uh, Steve, uh, we expect it as, uh, you know, it's an announcement that should have been made. So you can understand where we are. Uh, is that we are already in our state of mind and just in terms of our legitimate expectations, already living in the post-ETOL uh, period. We we already, um, you know, um, have have uh, uh, believe that uh, any announcement is imminent, but to us it's as good as, uh, you know, the, because uh, even the ministers in their in in what they have said, they talked about good news. So. Imminent good news to us already means we're looking to a completely new ETOL dispensation, and uh, we're just waiting for that to be formalized. But where we are, there's not turning back on the ETOL, the ETOL, I think, of the past, and uh, we're just waiting for that to be formalized and to be confirmed. So they're being scrapped? They've been scrapped. The people of Gauteng should not be burdened with paying for national roads that serve all of us.
Yeah, so there we go. Okay, so they've been scrapped. So your your journey is over or not? Well, until they are formally scrapped, look, it's not it's not in his position to make that announcement. It's got to come from the minister mm-hmm. and, and cabinet. But he, what he said, Alec, he's let the cat out the bag. He mentioned the ministers. He's close to them. He understands what's going on. And when asked the question uh, by Stephen Curtis, his response was, they are being scrapped. So... We've got to take that as the gospel. Uh, well, not the gospel, but uh, uh, that they are being scrapped in the background. The gospel comes from the minister himself. Mm. And uh, and now for the minister to, to backtrack and say, no, we're still deciding and we're deliberating and looking at the permutations. You see, when you read the media statement, you say, how is this possible that you've been telling us, you've missed all your deadlines, that the decision is imminent. In other words, the announcement's imminent. When you say the announcement's imminent, you've gone through all the deliberations, you've got your solution. Then the MEC says the decision has been made, it's been scrapped. Uh, uh, for them to now sort of give him uh, a hard time on that and, uh, and, and, and to say that the, um, the scheme is, is not scrapped and they're still going to make a decision on it, it's just a mess. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think we know uh, that, it, that, that the decision to well, scrap it. Well, it's over because it, 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 has been, it, it has been preempted by uh, um, Mama Bolo, mm-hmm. but we know what's going to happen. You, however, at Arta, you've got to wait until it finally happens. But, but the big thing for me on all of this, Wayne, is that it's civil disobedience in South Africa, yeah. uh, which has not been a popular stance mm. until recently. Yeah. Now we're seeing uh, the, for instance, we spoke this week with Willem Petzer, mm-hmm. who started the Taxpayer Union of South Africa, because mm-hmm. he says that you've got to start getting value for money from your taxes. And the only way to do that is by taking municipalities and government to court on particular items. Yeah. That's in like two days, you've got 13,000 people signing up for it. Yeah. Then we had uh, earlier this week, Kirion Jaber talking to us about the gun lobby in South Africa, where we are no longer supposed to have yeah. firearms uh, because government says you shouldn't have them, but you can't be protected by the, the securities at the moment. So it's almost like you've broken ground and winning this impossible to win uh, a battle will be giving a lot of encouragement to others. Absolutely. You know, we are afraid as, as, as citizens, especially middle class, to go on protests, to go on civil disobedience trials. But what we are learning and what citizens are realizing is that they have power and they must use it. And if you use it constructively and in a way that legally you tick boxes, and that's what's happening in local government space where we're also playing a big role in, in, in enabling uh, organized civil society to take on local governments and to take back the power of running those uh, uh, municipalities unless those municipalities work for their citizens. So this uh, ETOL matter has been an incredibly good learning journey. Uh, and uh, and the people now realize that they can stand up to government. They can stand up to irrational laws. They can stand up to abuse of power. And and win and and this is a big uh, this is a big win for society. But we don't we don't want to try and push the the cork back into the champagne bottle. So we always wait for the formal announcements. But once mm-hmm. that's made, but we've always said to people who say, well, but the, but etols are still here. We say it's not really here. It isn't. It's failed. The people have already made the decision for government. It's not working. If you think it's there, it's as if you're on the dance floor, all on your own. The music's playing. The lights are on, but there's nobody there. Nothing's happening. So, so what is Arta? What is Arta um, outside of ETOLS? That's how you started, yeah. but uh, I know you've, uh, the organization has evolved. Yeah. For instance, how many people are there, and what are you doing um, to uh, fulfill the ambitions of your supporters? So uh, for the first four years, uh, from 2012 to 2016, we were known as the Organi- uh, Opposition to Urban Tolling Alliance. That's how we got the acronym. And we were asked very often by our supporters, why just tolls? You know, at that stage, and Kandla and, 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 and uh, state capture was just gaining momentum. And we sat down and said, sure, I'll tell you what, uh, what we will do as a committee and as, a, as, as an executive team is let's think about this uh, request by so many supporters and saying, we will go beyond e-tolls. There's a lot to do in the fight against corruption and maladministration. So we formed a very focused mandate against 
people in power who abused our taxes, uh, changed our name from opposition to, to urban tolling lines, kept the same acronym because we were well known already as ARTA, uh, changed it to um, organization undoing tax abuse, and uh, and set out on on formulating our mission, and it was to take on the Dudumienis, the the uh, Brian Molefes, the Anosh. Uh, that Dudumieni case was amazing. <laughs> Carrie, did you fo- did you follow it at all? I actually couldn't watch her in the end. It was just yeah. too nauseating. It for was me, a brilliant yeah. case. We started that, that court case. Yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. But she is. No, uh, she is a. You know, oh, you mean you're talking about the Zondo uh, appearance? Yeah. But actually, if you think about it, had Dudumieni not been imposed on South African Airways. We would still have South African Airways. 100%. It, would, it was a great airline. It was filled with professional people. They were doing a great job. And she came in and purged them. So you get the likes of Sylvain Bosque and, uh, and, 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 and Wolf Mayer and all these people understand the commercial uh, um, uh, workings of, of running and technical workings of running an airline. Gone. Gone within a few months of her being there. They were purged uh, by her and her team put all the lackeys in and crashed that airline within, uh, within six months. But in your court case that you, uh, you went to the, the high court with, the unpacking of all of that, the way she intervened in very good contracts that had been signed or had been the one with, with Emirates, for instance, yeah. that she, she wanted money. So because she wanted to line her pockets, she crashed that whole contract and look yeah. at where we are today. Well, we got information from a whistleblower, Cynthia Stimple, you know, she's quite of famous, course. Yeah. Uh, came to us and said, this is what's going on. So the first thing we did, took her information and very quickly stopped the BNP capital deal. Now, this was yes. a little deal done on the side with the boutique little finance house and the treasury department within SAA says, this is the work that we do. We are salaried for this. Why do you want to go and pay 249 million rand to BNP capital to do work that we do? Mm. It was crazy. Well, we so, know why. Yeah, exactly. So we stopped that very quickly. We told Dudumnieni, if, uh, if you don't withdraw this, we are interdicting. We had the papers lined up. So they called our bluff and we had it all and we went to court and then they said, okay, cancel that deal. And then, and then we sat down with Cynthia. And so what else has been going on? And so we started getting this information and said, well, you know, we can lay charges, but these things just get lost. We've been laying quite a few charges against, uh, um, uh, uh, against various uh, ministers and that. Let's do something different. Let's raise our own case, a civil action case against her and have her declared a delinquent director. Because the pain of that takes her off all the boards. Remember, Zuma was in power then. We didn't know whether she was going to be moved to Eskom or moved to another board. Let's stop her from getting onto any board, in private or, or within government. It was a long journey. It was an expensive journey, but it was a worthwhile journey. She is now in CIPC. She can never register to be a director anywhere. Where does Cynthia live? Is she living in Kathmandu or something? No, no, no. She lives uh, here. She's very um, active in the whole whistleblowing space. She's doing an amazing job. She is amazing. We've, we've had her on the show. I a hope that times, she's yeah. got bodyguards and. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, I, oh, I think she's safe. It's now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing with whistleblowers is until they've blown the whistle, yeah. that's when the danger yeah. is. Yeah. Once they're out in the public, in the public domain, it's uh, it's game over because there's ask? no point in in. Uh, uh, in, in bumping someone off if they've already told everything they had to say. Yeah. May I ask a question? Mm. What of the people who have already paid all their e-tolls to date? What's going to happen to I'll all tell that you, money? I'll tell you right now, just to finish the, the, the question. So what have we done? 209 projects since the e-toll project. Uh, 44 staff we have working at ARTA. These are uh, legal specialists, investigators, project managers, uh, comm specialists. Uh, an amazing team of 45 uh, people or so um, that have helped these tw- 209 projects get going. A lot of them, uh, 40 of them are still open because there's always closed projects. As we close projects, new ones are opening. At any one stage, you'll have about 40 projects open. Some take years, some take a few weeks. Um, really good stuff. And, uh, and, and the Gupta Leaks helped us a lot. Now, coming to that question, a lot of people say, well, I've been paying my ETOLs. I've been a, a, you know, a good citizen so if this thing is scrapped, I, I, I'm expecting my money back. Well, the short answer is never. You will never get that money back. We because, know that. <laughs> <laughs> but not because and, – and they asked us, will you fight, us, uh, fight for us to get it back? And the short answer is you needed to exercise the moral courage and join the, join the civil disobedience campaign because the more people that do that sooner, the quicker the, the scheme capitulates. The second thing is they weren't 
doing it unlawfully. And they're saying, well, there's a law that protects them. So they were charging lawfully. We were breaking the law. Mm. And the people who broke the law had to suffer the consequences. Remember, there were summonses coming. We were threatened that our vehicles wouldn't be licensed. And these were real worries, but we had to test that and fight that. But to get to the test, you have to stop paying. So you've got to be this morally courageous, uh, active citizen that defies the law, and you face the consequence. If we had to go to jail, we would have gone to jail. As far as Arta goes, we, we said that this is right in the beginning when we started breaking the law on that. And, um, and, and we are the people, the citizens of the, uh, who've, who've been part of the civil disobedience campaign have brought it to its knees, not those who've paid. Uh, so we can't fight for them to get their money back. Sanrol's broke. Sanrol's not going to give them the money back because they weren't doing anything wrong. So the chances of them getting their money back is almost zero. And there's another thing. Most of the people who've been paying are corporates, the big fleet companies. They've passed yes. those costs on to the consumers. So that horse is bolted. Well, we're going to be talking a little more with Wayne. But uh, now it's time to pick, in, uh, pick up with Dr. Nati Mdladla. Uh, hello, Doc. Uh, thanks for the story that you wrote on Biz News about vaccines. It's been extremely well uh, read in the past week. I guess the, the question, the obvious question is, uh, now that you look at where we are today in, in South Africa, are we, are we making progress? Uh, I know less than 1% of our population are vaccinated. Uh, are, is there any hope? Good evening, Alec, and good evening to your listeners. Sorry, uh, thanks sorry. for having me on the show. Sorry, Doc. A uh, couple of things. Could you, would you mind just switching, or, uh, switching off your uh, speakerphone and just speaking straight into the phone? If you don't mind, it's, it's giving us bad feedback on this side. How's that? Okay, let me just check something. That's much better. We got you much cl- much clearer. So where, yes. where to from here? Well, I mean, I think on the side of the rollout itself, it's obviously going to be a big challenge uh, and probably slow moving at the beginning. Um, and hopefully uh, they do get their ducks in a row and eventually catch up. Um, one's aware that there's obviously a lot of work being done um, with varying views as to how much um, should the private sector, um, the independent um, sort of companies and so on be involved in trying to bolster the, roll, uh, the rollout uh, with some obviously within government or sort of not keen to have that done um, as, as they obviously seek to have control over it, uh, especially with the NHI, with the NHI in mind. Uh, that would be sort of the the best thing for them to do. Mm. And and you you do uh, articulate very well in your story the the whole vaccine uh, development. How we in South Africa sat back initially because we weren't as badly affected as the rich North. So the the, the government never secured vaccines, but then secured the wrong vaccines and so on. It it sounds like a, just an awful muck up. Well, I mean, uh, I suppose, I mean, to quote your markup is probably one way of looking at it. But to me, the the main issue has been um, about how we've approached most things. Um, the one thing that one has to remember is that obviously we are different to other countries. And I think we failed maximally in trying to sort of at least recognize how different we are. And then whatever we do, at least try and filter it in. Um, and... With the vaccines themselves, the the biggest challenge for everybody, actually, and most of us, has been to know what you need to get for your own country. Mm. Um, The one benefit that South Africa has always had, even from the beginning of the pandemic, is that we've always had an advanced amount of time to actually learn from other people. Um, And um, to me, I mean, I think by the time we sort of got to sort of AstraZeneca and even the current Pfizer vaccine, um, there was already a lot written out there to say maybe we need to change and think differently about how we're going to procure ours. And I think to be put under so much pressure um, to, as I say in the article, get something that's potentially going to be ineffective, nobody knows. We're all going to learn this in time. Uh, it's probably not really necessary because we the studies already come out. And I had asked the issue or the question around, let's say, just uh, the mutations in December already um, to and to some people that are heavily involved in the vaccines. And I said, what will happen if these come out? And at that stage, the thinking was that it shouldn't really affect anything. And I said, well, I think based on basics of microbiology or virology, it should matter. 
So if we're going to think about procuring this, we should actually factor that in. So why did you write the article? Uh, the article came about, um, like many other things that I've written, just because I mean, I'm involved in discussions with a lot of people, again, that are involved in these things, and one shares your views and your concerns and so on, mainly with the aim of um, helping and channeling sort of discussion and thoughts so that the country at least benefits meaningfully from uh, from this. Um, and um, I've sort of been partially involved in the vaccine roadmap as well on one of the work streams. Um, so sort of a side thing. Um, and the discussions that were happening, I sort of realized from the beginning that the main drive was just on um, getting the vaccines and, and almost a, a way of making sort of the country or some, suppose some people look good in just accessing the vaccines. And from the beginning, I had sort of a few concerns around that. Um, number one being, we, we just recently borrowed uh, almost 570 billion rand of money. Uh, and if we are going to procure or buy any vaccine, we need to make sure that we're buying the right one. And if there's a right one, it should go to the right people that actually deserve it. So my fear from the beginning is that we couldn't do a UK type thing or German uh, type thing. There had to be something different that we, we, we do. And because we also had this advanced amount of time um, that we had, we could plan better. And we should have actually, in my opinion, invested more time in planning. So I had been agitating and discussing all of these things. But there had always been a tendency to dismiss. Um, and, um, and almost like if you voice something that's sort of different, uh, you considered uh, somebody who's trying to drive the wrong negative, uh, sort of narrative. And I said, like, but I'm not against the vaccines. I actually vaccinate myself regularly. Uh, but I'm just trying to make sure that the country invests in the right tools. Dr. Nati Mdladla, and it's a, it's a really good piece. I'd suggest you go on to business and go and have a read of it. Wayne, mm. you guys have also been focusing on that, and that's, that's really appalling what's happened, not the vaccine side, but mm. with, with all the rip-offs on sure. the, the pandemic. How, how big is it? How, how bad is it? It's just so sad and sick, for, first of all, and uh, morally uh, um, uh, corrupt when when – you know, in a time of emergency, when you need every sense to get to where it's got to go, whether it's public, uh, whether it's uh, protection uh, or, or vac- um, uh, you know, sanitizing schools and so forth, uh, there's so much work that has to be done, and yet people just put their fingers in the till and they start overcharging and, and, and providing uh, poor services and, and providing zero services for overpriced uh, uh, equipment and so forth. So... It's been billions of rands that are lost to the country. Are you able to track any of it down or have court cases or this, come on, carry? I'm sure you, you, you've got a few people that you'd like to see yeah, strung up by the necks. So, stories. Yeah. I think we've all got stories that make our toenails cool. I think the SIU are doing a good job there sure. and, the, and the Auditor General. There's, there's some good work being done. We're we working with them. Yeah. Okay. And what are the other big focus areas for artists? Well, the moment, uh, art is a big one. Uh, government wants to introduce a scheme that's going to be worse than uh, ETOLs for, from a failure point of view. It's just not workable. This whole demerit point system on your driver's license, if you if you get traffic fines and so forth. ARTO, A-A-R-T-O. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's adjudication, administration of traffic offences. It's where you go when you need <coughs> anything to do with the traffic department. It's, it's all just fine. I go to payfines.co.za. Oh. Yeah, but that's no. all being controlled now it's by all Central. It's controlled by ah, Okay. And then uh, others is the long-distance toll routes. We've been asking Sandral to be transparent. And what happens in public-private partnerships, if there isn't transparency, there's money flowing, and we want to know where the money is flowing to. And there's private companies, we believe, are making billions out of us. In other words, we believe those toll roads, those toll fees that you drive down to Mpumalanga or Durban up to Limpopo should be reduced or can be reduced, and the profits that those uh, private concessions are making is exorbitant, that's our claim to verify that we need the information. And guess what? They don't want to give it to us. Of course not. This is madness. To be fair, though, that, that road to Natal, 
which I travel quite mm. regularly, is in pretty good condition. Yeah, it is. No one's saying that it's wrong, and that's good. And I'm Just told that it's really money. expensive to maintain a road of that nature. But, I mean, you know the story. You know the numbers. I well, the trucks, uh, if you consider how bad Transnet is and exactly. uh, the, the traffic that the trucks, the that's pounding true. they must be giving yeah. to their entry. They cause that and they're, they're, public, uh, they're companies that are entitled to make a profit, but mm. what is a reasonable profit? Well, 15%, 25%? Work we in the liquor industry, know. lucky if it's five. Yeah, we just how, want to know. How many mouths are feeding? How many little little bites are being taken? That's South Africa's uh, dreadful uh, record, yeah. particularly with BE, is that there's rent seekers who are injected in between, often in the Zoom administration, uh, required if you wanted a, a contract. Oh, yeah. You had to put this person, that person, the next person, or those organizations within to literally just scoop rents. Which is why it costs us more than twice to three times the price to build a simple road in this country. That's wrong. Really? Doing that. Yeah. That, yeah? The Gauteng Freeway Improvement Upgrade at a max, and we got engineers on that, should have cost about nine billion rand maximum. We think they could have got it at six. They paid 18 billion rand for 185 kilometer upgrade. Not a new road, an upgrade. It's a resurface of that much and, a, and an extra lane. I mean, it's we were ripped off we challenged Sanral on it, and they try and poo-poo this, but it's serious It's serious stuff. Well, you can be sure that uh, activism is alive and well in South Africa. Uh, we've been talking with Wayne Duvenage, the chief executive and founder of Outer, which this week should be celebrating because the MEC for Transport in Gauteng has said ETOLs have Scrapped. Scrapped. They're not going to carry on. But you're not celebrating yet. You've told us why. Um, I'm sure you will celebrate when it yeah, finally uh, does come out. It's the top of the hour now. And uh, at the top of the hour, we pick up every day on the Business News Power Hour with what's going on on the news front and on the markets. So let's kick off first with our editor at large, uh, Jackie Cameron, who has this flash briefing. Total assets invested in South African collective investment schemes entered the first quarter of 2021 at a record 2.9 trillion rand. That's according to the Association for Savings and Investments South Africa. However, the majority of investments made in the year ended March 2021 missed out on the strong stock market recovery, with most of the money going into interest-bearing portfolios. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange was at a three-week high at the end of the week as industrial stocks powered up. Shares in MTN, the largest mobile operator in Africa, broke through 100 rand for the first time since November 2019. Over 600 South African companies were liquidated in the first quarter of 2021. This is a sharp increase from the first quarter of 2020, but a similar number to that seen in 2019. The liquidation statistics were released by Statistics South Africa. Germany will recognize colonial-era mass killings in Namibia as genocide and offer 1.1 billion euros in aid as a gesture of atonement. German and Namibian negotiators concluded an agreement on Friday after more than five years of talks. Germany occupied Namibia from 1884 until 1915. Bitcoin slumped to wipe out most of this week's advance as Bank of Japan Governor Haruhiku Kuroda warned about the token's volatility and speculative trading. The digital currency lost 7% to trade around $35,700. This recalls levels seen in last week's crypto meltdown. Bitcoin is now flat for the week after a run that has seen prices swing between $33,000 and $39,000. The threat of tougher regulation continues to be a drag on crypto market sentiment. China and Iran have cracked down on Bitcoin mining operations for using too much electricity. There's also speculation that U.S. policymakers may increase financial oversight given the market's growing size and intense volatility. That was your Biz News Flash Briefing. I'm Jackie Cameron for Biz News. For more on those and the other big stories of the week, visit biznewsradio.com. Well, it's uh, a very interesting update there from Jackie Cameron. But now we'll get the markets with our Nadia Swart. Brad Rob believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movement in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Bradrock, the first ever needs meshed to life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, Nadia, nice to see you on this Friday night. Glad you aren't out partying with everybody, uh, all your, your, your pals. 
Oh, goodness, no, the youth, uh, I left that for my 20s. <laughs> <I'm going. laughs> okay, so what happened on the markets today? Okay, so the JSE All Share Index was up today at 67,555. Barlow World was up by 15% to 119 Rand 33 cents per share. The Fashini Group was also up by 7% to 133 Rand 39 cents per share. Sappy was down by 4.5% to 43 Rand per share. And Mediclinic was down by 2.4% to 64 Rand 31 cents per share. In the currency markets, the rand was flat against all the major currencies to 13 rand 75 to the dollar, 19 rand 51 to the pound, and 16 rand 77 to the euro. Gold is steady at $1,895 an ounce. Brent crude is steady at $69 a barrel. And the premier cryptocurrency will put you back 505,000 rand a Bitcoin. <sighs> Thanks, Nadia, for uh, that update, and uh, go and have a wonderful weekend. Well, thank you very much. You as well. This market report was made just for you by Bright Rock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, Carrie, you've got a very uh, noisy background here it's with Nikki van der Waals. in the restaurant with <laughs> Nikki. Nikki, next, how Don't are you? It's service. Fine, and you? Sorry, it is Friday. It is service. It so is Friday. If it was anybody other than Kerry, I wouldn't have done this interview. Nicholas, thank you so much for taking time out to speak to us. And we won't keep you long because I know that it's a Friday night service. No problem. Next, just no for problem. everybody out there to know why we're talking to you, on the 18th of May, we got a brand new big star in the sky in Gauteng because you opened the doors of Tang. I know it's been a dream of yours for a long time. Tell everybody you can brag. You've got big bragging rights. Tell us about <laughs> Tang. Next. Well, you say it's been a lifelong dream, and first, thank you for, for uh, putting me on the show, having me on the show. Dang, for me, you know, I fell in love with the site, ironically. I started the site long before the concept. I remember when I was 21, I came here on a date uh, with a girl. It was a Valentine's Day, then I think uh, Wang Tai in the day mm. was like the place to be. Was it Leanne? Was it your wife? No, no, I'm <gasps> not going to disclose the name. Nikki. It's very long, that's 20 years ago. <laughs> okay, good, we'll forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember sitting and I looked at the site and I just loved it. It was other, it was the perfect size. It wasn't too big, it wasn't too small. And uh, I thought, fuck, you know, at that stage I had premium platinum rose bank. I thought, you know, one day, you know, life has got a very strange way. And you know, the, the site came, uh, uh, site came onto my radar about eighteen months ago. Yes. And uh, I always, always, always wanted to express myself in the in the Asian narrative. Uh, you know, I often refer to Zuma, uh, for the listeners who don't know, Zuma is a, a fabulous uh, restaurant. <laughs> amazing, probably the best uh, Izikai in the world, correct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but again, that was just focused on Izikai, Japanese food. And then, you know, I've always loved Hakkasan, which is a very central Cantonese eatery, the original, yes. you know, the original one opened up in. And I wanted to fuse the two. I hate to use the word fusion, but, you know, you know I wanted to, you know, in, in reality, Japan and China are not really the best of friends, but on a menu, they actually perfect soulmates. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the whole idea of cooking on robata, which is basically, for lack of a better explanation, a braai. You know, it's a Japanese <laughs> Japanese uh, braai. It's a Japanese braai. And yes. you know, you've got those beautiful flavors, strong, big, bold flavors. You've got the miso, you've got the teriyakis. You know, you've got the fast spice yes. and, you know, and what we tried to, what I set out to do was to create a balanced menu whereby you've got a lot of assets, you've got a lot of sweets. And yeah, I think, you know, the chef that I've, you know, that, that we put who in is your chef, head chef? He, Tell us who is your head chef. He's a genius. Chef Vixa Kalinga He's a Congolese gentleman. Yes. Uh, we met two years ago uh, when I started toying with the idea of doing a pure, I was going to do just a pure Izekaya. Uh, which was uh, no focus on uh, on Cantonese, and I thought to expand that as the c concept grew. But he really is the soul of the show. Yes. Um, I mean, I can run around and do flip flops and you know chat to people and customers and make them happy. But at the end of the day, you know what we what we said after to create here is not just a beautiful, enduring, long lasting restaurant, but we want to be known for the food. And he's nailed it. He's he definitely nailed has. It. Well, I no, he's nailed it. My interest was peaked because. 
um, mutual friends of ours, dear friends that we share, the Hamilton Russells, invited yeah. me to lunch at Tang on Tuesday. And I've actually been champing at the bit to come. And, of course, when Oliver and Anthony invited me, I said, yeah, it would be absolutely fantastic. Is that a little bit of name dropping? Uh, Hamilton a, Russell's just a tad. Just a tad, but Nikki and I have both been friends well, with I them like for many, many years. They are got parents in my children. So I think that I'm they, I think that they brag about knowing you, Nikki. <laughs> I think. Anyway, I love, the, I love them to this. We, they're gorgeous, and they hosted a lunch at Tang on Tuesday, so it was my introduction, Alec, to this restaurant. And in his inimitable fashion, Nikki van der Valt is. Um, his energy is palpable. He's, next, can I tell them, he's gorgeous to look at. So anybody loves looking at Nikki, and I'm sure. I'm getting a bit gray now. Leanne won't mind if we say that on, on air, but he's, he's really good to look at. He's clever, he's innovative, he's energetic, and he's put all of that. Making me blush. Into a big, yeah, well, that's why we're on radio. Nobody's going to see next. Just blush, ago, blush away. Um, he's put it all into this, into this, restaurant called Tang and and of course Tang for those people who don't know is actually a Chinese dynasty isn't it I mean it was a dynasty yeah, that sort of reigned around about 600 or it was 700. the golden period it was the height of sophistication it was it was learned it was intellectual it was cosmopolitan it was it was um, it was academic it was a, a huge growth period in Chinese in Chinese history and I think that you've managed to encapsulate all of that in your restaurant, but somehow it's not up its own you-know-what, you know. It's actually a really comfy environment that you feel you could just sit and order one delicious little course after another. The food was brilliant, oh. Nikki. You know, okay, what, you, what you say there is like so true. What I said after you, I didn't want to create an intimidating space. I wanted to create a luxurious space. I don't want a pretentious, and I don't want to say pretentious or pretentious, but I don't want to create a pretentious yeah. space. I want something that is homely. And the whole Ezekiah concept uh, is rooted in that. Ezekiah, for those people who don't know, is a Japanese pub. Not pub like we know, McGinty's or something like that, but it's an informal place where there's as much focus on food as it is on drinks. But it's not, a, ca- it's not a kind. No, it's it? comfort food. <laughs> it's, it's comfort food. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, I want to set out a place where, uh, you know, it's comfortable to come to. You know, you can mm-hmm. come here three times a week. You can come out a miso soup. You know, we you don't have to blow the budget. Come out a miso soup and a glass of wine. And we've got a wonderful selection of wines by the glass. You've got a fantastic wine list. I love your wine list. But then we're allowed so to brag is, because it's all Norman go Goodfellows and whatever. But it's not all Norman but, Goodfellows. No, but let me tell you, this for me, Karen, when you say, you know, this is a deeply deeply personal project for me. Yes. Uh, you know, everything, if to the last detail, there's not a single thing that, you know, I didn't take you know, yes. pride in, 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 you know. No, you've been amazing, which is why I wanted to talk to you, and I wanted everybody to know it's a much-awaited thing on my list. You're amazing. And I'm just so unbelievably chuffed that we've got a Nikki in, in Johannesburg who is lifting the bar. I mean, there are a couple of you, but you're one of them. So that we're not the sort of ass and Charlie, you know, when it comes to Cape Town restaurants and Gauteng restaurants. You know what? I think, you know, for me, I wanted to do this for Joburg. I think, well, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I'm well traveled. I'm not bragging, mm-hmm. but I am well traveled. I've been all over the world. You know, I've lived in Cape Town. I know most of the top restaurants And, you know, the whole thing about Joburg, we're not a fine dining scene. No. But having said that, we are casual. The market is hungry for casual fine dining. And, it's actually what we set out to do. It's quite exactly because what you've encapsulated. You've encapsulated because, you know, we're doing fine, fine dining. dining. We, 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 you know, the food is on a level of fine dining, but mm. we're doing it for 220 packs per night. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that is a difficult feat to do. Yeah. And, you know, as I said to my chef, you know, if we've raised the bar, we set the bar extremely high, which is what we wanted to do. And the hard work now is to maintain it because mm. I'll, I'll be damned if I let it slip. Well, don't. I just want to get it better and better and better and better. Don't. You have created exactly what you set out to create. Anybody who has not tried to make a booking at Tang yet, if you're in Gauteng, make that booking at Tang. It is sensational. It's comfy. It's cozy. It's casual. It's top draw. It's absolutely just what we needed in Gauteng. Nikki, thank, thank you, you so, much. so, so Before you go, you. Nikki, oh, wait, Nikki, Nikki I want to know if I can afford your prices. If I, could, if I bring my wife out for a, a, a date night, what is it going to cost me? 
You know, the, the menu, the, the wags on the menu specifically, as I said, you can come for dim sum. You can, dim sum will cost you 100 rand. You can come for miso soups and it'll cost you 80 rand. You can have a wag. You, what, what we've done, which, you know, a lot of misunderstand, we're not just an easy client. We sort of a grill house as well because, because of, we've got the Robata grills. We focus on South African sourced wagyu beef. We're not flying the beef in from Australia and USA. Our meat is fantastic. So, We've partnered with Woodview Wagyu, so you can have a, a, a steak for two hundred bucks, or you can have a steak for five hundred bucks. Or you can you have know? that so, peaking, that peaking duck, peaking which duck. I want to leave home for. It was yeah, gorgeous, Alec. And what what, what does that cost? Peking duck. The peaking half a peaking duck will cost you three ninety five, but okay. half a peaking duck is enough for two people. Yeah. So oh, if you and your wife, which I think is great value. Yeah. You know, yesterday I had a meeting with. With Paolo de Santos from Quintessentially, and he ordered a half a peking duck, and I bought it, and he said, but this, I ordered a half. I said, that is a half a peking no, duck. No, it was huge, and it's delicious. Jeanette, well, Jeanette won't, because she won't eat the duck. Well, but I think it's relative good value for, for luxury products. It's fabulous. Product. Nikki, you've done a great and job. And where are you? Where exactly are you? We are Nelson Mandela Square, the iconic okay, on, on right uh, behind Medina. Got right it looks out over the smashing. whole square. It's okay, fabulous. so we know, Kerry, uh, date, uh, date night. Date night. I'm going to phone you and book mm. a table for Alec to take Mrs. Hogg. Wow. It'd be amazing. Yeah, thank you, thank you so, so much. And It's and been an luck. absolute honor to be on your show, guys. Good thank luck you so, so and much. And you guys keep up the good work as well. We will. Right. Thanks so much. Thank Thanks, you. Bye. It's a fabulous evening. Bye-bye. Bye. That's amazing. I never knew they were allowed to do Wagyu beef. In South Africa, I thought it was, it could only come from, uh, no. from uh, is it Japan? You know what it makes it Wagyu is the way you rear it and all of that. And you massage it and you feed it beer and you do all those sort of things. Mm. And I remember going to visit Anthony Rawbone and Filion at, um, in Elgin. And he had a Wagyu herd. I think he was one of the first in South Africa um, at Oak Valley Farm in Elgin. And I also didn't know that you could have Wagyu in South Africa, mm. but you can. It's the way you rear them. And, and how do you rear them? As I say, you massage. You Instead of taking, you're putting your jammies on and going to bed at night with Jeanette, you go into the cow shed and you massage their little calves and you feed them beer. And, and then you eat them. And then you sell oh, them no, to be eaten. <laughs> oh, God. No. <laughs> sound absolutely M- Michael Fridjon is on the line. I wonder <laughs> if he would go and massage something and then eat it afterwards, Michael. Well, you know, I presume you're talking about Wagyu, and it should be said that I remember in an original Ian Fleming, which um, I think was, hang on, only lived twice or something like that, that he, um, Mr. Tanaka, who is the Japanese gentleman he deals with, tells him about Kobe beef and about how they massage them with gin and feed them on beer. So from a from a childhood memory, I thought that if um, there's such things reincarnation, <laughs> I think I might book myself a place in the hock. How are you, Michael? I'm very well. How are you? We good. Thank you for joining us on the Business Power Hour. I just suddenly, when I saw it the other day, I suddenly thought to myself, how remiss of me. It's that time of the year. It's our premier premium. Um, wine competition of the year in South Africa And I hadn't asked to speak to you And it's the 20th anniversary Of the old mutual trophy tasting So tell us all about um, Tasting in COVID times Okay So well, the tasting will start next week But having managed Last year's tasting Much later in the year because of the lockdown yeah. We kind of geared up for COVID, crossed our fingers and sailed into it and seemed to have emerged in late August last year, unscathed for last year. But that was, of course, before the second wave and now, of course, before the third wave. So there are all sorts of things that we've had to do differently from, as you can imagine, spraying every single box that gets delivered, seven or eight hundred of them, whatever it is. Um, people constantly wearing, I mean, you know, the teams that work the, the back office wearing gloves and masks. We moved down our own team. So we literally, I mean, it's very bad for employment in the Western Cape, but we took people that have been in our bubble yeah. and moved that bubble down to the Cape and yes. they have to stay in the bubble. And we run it on that basis. And it will be our staff that actually do the pouring and the handling and the logistics. Yes. 
because this is something that you put awfully close to your respiratory tract. You can't taste wine, you can't for that matter taste spirits um, without getting into the very high risk zone. So we do everything we can from the washing to the handling to the pouring. I mean, the protocols are tough and tight and obviously we sincerely hope that they will be good enough. This afternoon I discovered that one of my spirits judges was diagnosed with COVID earlier this week, oh, which is an unpleasant shock. She's in, it's real. It's very, very real. real. It's very real. I've heard of a lot of people who have got COVID. Absolutely. And so we, and we last year and this year, built back up um, judges into our teams. So it was a quick rejig yeah. of the panels for that day's judging. And um, we hope we are, um, we hope we're not getting any more than that and that yeah. we will manage and I'd much rather know well in advance than have somebody arrive and sh- share with us. And where, where are you doing the tasting this year? Are you back at the Grand Rush? No, we're not, and there are a whole lot of reasons for that. We're at the Western in Cape Town itself. Okay. Um, the, ho- the hotel has been wonderfully accommodating, yes. um, which probably wouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Yeah. The space so there is good. The, it's the work, very, I would imagine. Yeah, the space is big, and there's nothing else happening there, so we can spread through that whole conference mm. area, which is wonderful. Makes the much problems at Grand Roche. Um, we're both historical units, yes. needed a lot of investment, and COVID is not a great time for that. Mm. And then the logistics also change. So it's the first time in 20 years that we haven't been at Grand Roche. Yes. And I think that this is, I think this is a way forward for us as well. And mm. um, we need that kind of space and COVID will be with us next year as well. They're going to be with you us know, forever, we, I think. Yeah, we need to be in space that we can be absolutely confident about in terms mm. of spreading people out, managing the environment and managing the cleaning and the washing and yeah, everything huge. that goes with it. Michael, how many, on just roughly, how many entrants did you get this year? I know it's normally sort of upwards of a thousand entries that you Yeah, I know. Since, since COVID, even last year, this is you know, around 700 for wines. The spirits entry, in fact, is up this year, and that'll add another 150 or so. So it is a busy week. Mm. It's very nice. Um, And to be quite honest, uh, much as we would have liked another 100 or 150 to be in line with where life was before COVID, we know there's been a serious attrition in the industry, firstly. Yes. And secondly, given the... COVID protocols, a little bit more time to do everything and not rush the days and not make people, you know, get up that much earlier, work that much longer, have more people doing more things. Yes. It's worked out fine. It's the right way to do it. So, so we haven't got, pushed hard. And, and you've got how many judges? Need. So we, we have got... Um, nine, nine for spirits, which is the final day, yeah. and nine for wines for the first three and a half days. Okay. So it's three panels of three judges each. Okay. And this year, um, we have taken a bit of a chance because we could do no associates at all last year. And we've got a wonderful crop of people who have been through the wine judging academy yes. and have now been deprived of any judging opportunities for a year and a half. So we're bringing in associates and we're bringing them in to be part of the bubble. So it's a big investment, but that way at least we are, we hope, building up the capacity that we need. I mean, the extraordinary thing, apropos of the Wine Judging Academy, is that it's been running now since, I think, 2007, Mm. and it has produced such a strong cohort of now senior judges yes. that the fact that we couldn't have internationals on the panel it didn't this matter. year and in fact last didn't matter. We really have got real depth of talent, real knowledge, real experience and people who understand what we're aiming to do. Yes. And so we we do really have that depth of talent which we wouldn't have had 10 years ago. It's I know and again difference. all thanks to you for, for putting that academy together. I think Gosh, I can remember going to do that thing in that academy probably the second year or third year that you were open and I had the you most were very shocking brave. flu. 
I had the most <laughs> shocking flu. I couldn't smell or taste anything. Anyway, it you was. You still did pretty well, Carrie. Let me tell you, if a, that's what you do when you can't taste it. Was a you're all right. It's a brilliant initiative, that, that whole thing, because it really has done exactly that. It's, it's, um, it's taught a whole load of people who would otherwise never, ever have known how to tell, how to judge. So that's that. We've got next week going on. It takes a little bit of time for all the results to come out. May we sort of avail you of some more time when you have your results so that you and I can sit and have a more in-depth conversation about the results because I think it's going to be very telling of all kinds of things in the wine industry what these results are going to be. I'd look forward to that. We're probably about a month from that. In other words, we'll get the judging, the auditing, the checking, the guarantees yes. that the wineries have the stock, the wine and spirit board and the Sawas folk who check off the volumes, the certifications, all the other guarantees that when you get that old neutral sticker on your bottle, um, it is indeed it from the something. batch yes. that was that was judged because you know lots of wineries bottle three or four different batches. And you don't want the stickers landing up on the bigger volume when they make up the smaller volume mm. for a wine show. So there's all of those things that have to be done. But by the end of June, and I'm afraid it will have to be a virtual awards function because mm. uh, I think in this whole mutual is correct. They just think that putting a whole lot of people in one place is not COVID friendly. Yeah, Michael, before you go, I've been dying to ask yes. you this question. Uh, your father, Harold, the late yes. Harold, was uh, one of my mentors. I worked with him at the Rand Daily Mail, uh, well, many years ago. You would uh, better not mention how long ago. Yes. <laughs> Indeed, it was a while ago. But I often wondered, he was such a brilliant financial journalist, such a brilliant human being as well, why you went into wine and not into this honorable profession of ours of financial journalism. Well, I went into the honourable profession of wine journalism. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to drink. It wasn't business. He certainly was a mentor in terms of writing. You know, even when I was a kid at school and writing essays, he was the same, I'm sure, with you about how long a sentence should be, how clear your ideas have to be at the beginning, how you should make sure you wrap it up at the end. All of those things were kind of inculcated from an early age and no doubt contributed. I've been writing about wine now for nearly 50 years, which is an indication of having started at school, more or less. And and I think without... without being able to verify this stuff. I think I'm the, I run the longest running weekly wine column in the yeah, English speaking world. And that certainly goes back to the second half of the seventies. So it's been a long time and it's, um, it's probably through the good fortune of having, having had Harold as my father leading me on the way. I, I, I can't think of a better father. He uh, was a legend. Did truly, you ever meet Mrs. Fred John? I think I did. Uh, what's her gorgeous. name? Um, Edna, if you met her, you'd remember it. Edna, little, short. I did meet her. I can, I can see Harold now, and it's many years ago. Uh, we were very privileged those days at the Rand Daily Mail. We had Howard Priest, who was a former chairman of the Oxford yeah, Union, yeah. who was our financial edit, our editor. Then we had Harold Fridge on, who was an absolute doyen, and in mining was Adam Payne, who was also a doyen. So you had, and then Fred Ingram, who was our uh, sub-editor, who was in a league of his own. It was an incredibly fantastic place to learn. Yeah. And, uh, and Harold was a big part of it. Were you still at Main Street, or had you moved to Sound? Diagonal? No, it was in no, no. It was the. It was actually Moy Street. Uh, it was Moy and Main. Mm. Yeah, it was the crappiest in building in, sort of in the Yeah, it was. Re- it so was the bad part of, of time post, when post post the implosion of one seven four and one seven one Main Street. Well, the, the the funny thing about that building, the only thing I really uh, remember about it was that it had a lift shaft that was far far higher than the highest top floor because oh. the old South African <laughs> Associated newspapers uh, under in, under in, well they they. 
they scoped the building out and then couldn't afford to make it as big as it was supposed so to be. You, you need to know times. that the building across the road, the old 174 Main Street, yeah. was the original building. And that certainly goes back to, literally to my childhood. We'd go down on a Friday evening to fetch the old man from work. And that was the original sandstone building. Then, quite right, they built across the road and they put this huge lift shaft there. <clears throat> And that was as they moved away from hot lead printing as well. The old print works was over the road at 174 originally, and then it all went electronic. And that building at 171 was a nightmare. It was jerry-built. <laughs> they were trying to expand from a five- or six-story building and ran out of loot half the way, which I'm afraid was the sad story of San anyway. <laughs> yeah, and it just and it got worse from there. <laughs> so. Oh, Michael, as ever, it's just so entertaining and gorgeous talking to you. We love you. You are one of our big, big national treasures. We're going to catch up with you again very, very soon after the results come out to tell everybody about the fabulous work of the Old Mutual Trophy Wine Show. I look forward to chatting then. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Well, that was fun, uh, getting some history about uh, a horrible building that I stayed in. It was all glass as well, Carrie, so it was hot as Hades in there. Uh, I'm trying to remember Poor air conditioning. You don't want to remember it. It was. I don't. I hope they've knocked it down. I've got a horrible feeling they haven't. <laughs> but anyway, and, and who was with us as well? Helen Zilla was, oh, uh, wow. was one of our... A star reporters, Amin Akowaya, the late Amin Akowaya. Wow, it was a incredible uh, a privilege to work for Alistair Sparks, who was uh, the late Alistair Sparks, who was yeah. the editor then. But we're not here to reminisce. We're here to tell you it's been festive it's Friday. Weekend. It's the weekend. And, uh, well, next week, have you got anyone lined up yet? I actually have got somebody lined up next week. Okay, but I'm you're not going to... I'm not going to tell you who it's. You're not going to leave It's a very it. nice interview. I've only got one so far. Okay, well, we'll be in our brand new studio. And thanks for being with us tonight because we're actually here in our new studio. I hope you can hear that the sound is a heck of a lot better than that little shoebox that we, we've we're been walking. And we're not sitting in a hot box. And we're not standing in a hot box. We're oh. sitting in a comfy chair like we're in our lounge suite. I hope you enjoyed joining us in our lounge suite this evening. And you did. And Kerry's got her bottle of, uh, sorry, a glass. Well, it's only one glass, just I glass suppose. You aren't slurring just yet, but uh, we'll give her time. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back again with you on Monday uh, between 5.30 and 6.30. Until then, cheerio. You've been listening to The Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.